to say. We love you and we thank you. And all people, all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. All right. Let's open our Bibles. Ever say word. Everybody got it? Let's see those Bibles out there. Got Bibles? Nice. Nice. And we got a pen out there? A pen? Let's see those pens. Nice. I see a couple pens out there. How, how many of y'all got a sermon buddy? Sermon buddy? Yeah. Whoa. Look at all those sermon buddies out there. Excellent. All right. We're opening our Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 7. And we have a very, very important uh, question that we are going to look at. Um, in fact, it's, it's probably, well, no, it is. It, it is the most significant question uh, that you will ever answer. Yeah. It is the most significant question you will ever, ever answer. Does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? I think we've all uh, had one of those experiences, you know, where you see somebody and you walk up, you're like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you, and you immediately know they have no idea who you are. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, oh my gosh, the PTA, we were, we were hanging out, we had cake, and, you, and you're like, I know they don't know me. <laughs> Well, there will come a day <clears throat> where a group of people, and, and it's startling how Jesus describes it. it. It's not just a small group of people, it, it, a group numbering many who will stand before the Lord and they'll be like, Lord, Lord, look at all we did for you. To which Jesus will reply, I, I never knew you. You worker of lawlessness, you who disregarded the true law of the living God. As you all remember from last week, we are in the home stretch of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and here in chapter 7, really from verse 13 through verse 29, it breaks up into a series of twos. Two paths and two trees, two professions and two foundations. Again, we'll be looking at two paths and, and two types of trees and, and two professions and two foundations. But as John Stott so poignantly wrote the passage we're going to look at this morning, the time for decision has come. Is it to be the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of God? The prevailing culture or the Christian counterculture. And by the way, when it comes to the Christian culture, it should be countercultural. It should be distinct from culture. It is a troubling phenomenon when Christians sound like and look like and, and, and behave like the culture in which they dwell. You see, as Christians, the gospel should so permeate our life that we really should live as the distinct ones. Which is what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate. 
For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are few or many, many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is, as we saw last week, really the dividing of humanity into, into two groups. And it, and it centers on a choice. And, and in reality, we, we all like to have a choice, don't we? But as we're reading this passage, I mean, there really only seems to be one choice, like right, uh, life or death. Salvation or destruction? There really seems to be only one choice. You know, our family loves to shop at Aldi. I mean, honestly, it's the only way we can afford to feed all of our children. Like, we ain't shopping at Tom Thumb. Like, there's no way. And one of the reasons we like it is the cost, but it, sometimes we joke. It's, we call it our socialist grocery store. Because <laughs> when you go there, there's like only one type of stuff. Like, there's one type of dish soap and one type of pancake mix, one type of grape. Uh, but as we look at this, this passage, really, we're left with one choice. You know, it's like Jesus and, and every faithful preacher since, like, standing at the trailhead of humanity, declaring to the masses, choose life. Turn from sin and turn to the living God through Jesus. It's scandalous, really. When we think of the context of the gospel, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And when we get a grasp of what the world is and, and even what that means, the fact that God loves the world so much so that he gave his only son that whoever, like this is like the massive wide open door of the gospel, right? Like whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is a belief. This is a faith. And while it seems like a big, giant, wide open door to all who believe, and when I think of that, I'm like, when you, when you come to see, like, the glories of the gospel, who in their right mind would turn that down? But we, we realize it's a very narrow belief. Now, Jesus declaring to his disciples, you know, in John 14, you know, he's, like, preparing them for his departure. He's like, I'm going away to prepare a place. And if I go away, I'm going to come back and I'm going to come get you so that you can be with me. And Thomas is like, we don't, I don't know the way. And, and, and Jesus is like, I've been with you for so long. You don't know the way. Listen up. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Family, there is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other life. It is Jesus or death. As the apostles declared in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that you may receive forgiveness. You know, it reminds me of the story of Lot 
in Genesis chapter 20. The time for judgment had come. God had decreed that Sodom and Gomorrah was to be destroyed. And we know the story. Abraham interceded for his nephew. And God sent two angels in grace to lead Lot and his family out of Sodom. And before he left Lot, he went and begged and he pleaded. He, he turned to his son-in-laws. He's like, turn. Hey, we got to go. The city is going to be destroyed. Judgment is coming. But then we read, they thought it was a joke. They started laughing until the sky turned black. And great hailstones of fire began to fall. Judgment had come. And we look at that and we're like, yeah, well, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, obviously there was going to be judgment. But then I think about, like, the reality of, like, every civilization and every culture like what was splashing across the front pages of the Sodom and Gomorrah Gazette are the same things that are splashing across the Dallas Morning News and splashing across our news feeds and showing up in our very heart. And there will be a day where in grace the Lord will come and descend and he will call his church the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive will meet with them and with the Lord in the heaven. And then will come judgment. And we proclaim the gospel. And yet so many today believe that it's all a big cosmic joke. That, of course, is until the church disappears and the sky turns black. Turn from sin while there is still yet time. Enter by the narrow gate, declares Jesus. And yes, the way is described as, as a narrow way, and it's described as a hard path. You know what that tells me? It tells me that there are boundaries. The boundaries are set by divine revelation. We are to go no further than what the Scriptures teach. We are to pull nothing from the Scriptures. It is the way that is bound by the divine revelation of God. It's narrow in the path of its distinction. You see, there's a broad road, and it's leading in a direction towards destruction. And then there is the narrow path that leads towards life. And I, I remember this. I shared this last week. There was that like, distinct moment in my life where I knew Standing in front of the church, talking to a friend, I, I was like acutely aware that the path that I was on was leading to death. 
And everybody I knew was on it. But I felt like there was this like narrow path and Jesus was on it and they, they were not going the same direction. And my friend asked me, he's like, which path are you gonna choose? And I was like, you know, I think I'm gonna follow Jesus. I don't know what that means. But I'm gonna turn and follow him. I've never once regretted that decision. And so because this conversation is life and death, the most important choice that any of us will ever make, Jesus declares, be careful, watch out for who you allow to shepherd you spiritually. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, this, this reminds me of what Paul had said. You know, he declared with tears that there were enemies of the gospel, adversarial to the church, antichrists, even though they preached the name of Jesus. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You see, a false prophet dressed like a sheep. They appear to be a part of Jesus' flock, but they are only interested in feasting on sheep meat. These are these counterfeit preachers who claim they come from God, who are really ambassadors of the enemy. They are preachers of bondage, evangelists of idolatry, and missionaries of absolute spiritual madness. And unfortunately, Christians and often new believers and less mature believers are the ones who fall into this type of teaching. But even mature believers wander away. Jesus, speaking of the end times in Matthew 24, 24, says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise, and they'll perform many signs and wonders. And people will be like, whoa, did you see that? What, did you see that miracle? Wow. A worship. As to lead astray, listen to this, if possible, even the elect, even the elect, those who are set apart and chosen, could be tempted and led away into this spiritual madness. Here are some of the things that make a false prophet so dangerous. They present themselves as genuine believers. They typically have uh, gifts in oration and persuasive communication. They have abilities. They're good talkers. They speak words that they claim come directly from God. It's crazy. They get these divine revelations that nobody else gets. It's like they have this special spiritual divining rod, and, and they hear these things, and if you want to hear what God's really saying, you're going to have to see them. Or they'll have to physically touch you so you can get a spiritual anointing. To which my response is, there is one mediator between God and man, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I do not need another human being to get a divine revelation that is not revealed in the clear teaching of Scripture. I do not need another human being to stand between me and God. The one who stands between me and the Father is the Lord Jesus Christ. But I do need somebody to shepherd my soul. They'll often use scripture. Kind of like an infomercial uses experts. You know what I'm talking about? Infomercials? I mean, I know we, we never watch those. You ever lose the remote and you're like, I guess I just got to watch it. <laughs> and there's like doctors on there and these panel of experts. You're like, wow, all I got to do is take this pill. I eat whatever I want and I just lose weight. Wow. Wow, this preacher who's talking to the scripture. So like if I send in money, I'm going to become a millionaire. Wow. And I know we look at that and we like laugh at the spectacle. Like I would never fall into such a trap. Well, this is going to sound kind of critical of people, <laughs> of which I am one. You know, I am people. Uh, we're kind of easy to manipulate. You know, Jesus calls us sheep. And from what I understand, sheep aren't the smartest animal. <laughs> They're kind of just like, bah, bah. And if they don't, like, have, like, basic grooming, they, like, fall over and can't get back up. I mean, they, we're talking about an animal that's, like, utterly dependent. God has built us to follow, and here's what's crazy. We are in a high-stakes game of follow the leader, and what we're playing for is our soul. Please hear this. Just because a person has a following doesn't mean you should follow them. Y'all hear that? Just because a person has a following does not mean you should follow them. That's why Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruit, verse 16. Pay attention. Now, we can't, like, actually peer into a person's soul, but here's what betrays people, their words. You see, Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, 34, that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So you have to ask the question, when you're listening to a spiritual teacher, what do they talk about? Who do they quote? Who do they esteem? Who do they rub shoulders with? How do they treat their family? Their, their spouses and their kids? How do they behave when the camera gets turned off? How are they behind the scenes? You see, a false prophet is a false teacher, and over time, their teaching will betray them. So Jesus shifts from the, the illustration of a sheep and a wolf to then fruit. This is so, so good. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? What's the obvious answer? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, verse 17, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. I mean, that's the whole idea right now and the whole issue in the crisis of avocados, right? Like, we know good avocados come from Mexico. And we can't get no avocados right now. And I'm like, what about the guacamole? <laughs> I eat avocados with everything. Avocados from Mexico. And we're not getting those. 
Because we know that's where you get a good avocado. But you know what? Where you get good spiritual fruit is from healthy spiritual teachers. That's where you're going to get that good, soul-satisfying spiritual fruit. Three things to look out for with teachers and preachers. First, character and conduct. Character and conduct. And you know what? This, this kind of necessitates proximity. If all you do is watch your spiritual teacher on TV, you have no proximity to your shepherd. You have no idea how they really are. And there's never an, a time where people assume somebody's character and conduct from a distance and then find out the shocking truth. That never happens, right? People are like, I can't believe they did that. I'm like, okay. So they're, they're given a huge platform, no accountability. No one actually really knows them. Why are we shocked? Secondly, content. Look for content. What is being taught? And then third, look for consequence. Like, what is the result of the teaching? How do the people respond? Do you see a progressive work where people are becoming more Christ-centered, gospel-focused, or are they more self-centered and self-focused? You usually can trace it back to the spiritual teaching. You see, a healthy tree, verse 18, cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. A spiritually sick ministry does not bear out true living good fruit. You see, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That should, that should really grab our attention. That is speaking of judgment. You see, for a false prophet to even mention the name Jesus is blasphemy. To even have his name on their lips cries out for judgment. Paul says as much, speaking of false prophets, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 through 15, For such men are false apostles, they're deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. That's just what Jesus was talking about. They dress like sheep. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. That is why Jesus says you will recognize them by their fruits, verse 20. Pay attention. The phrase is repeated twice. You will recognize them. You will recognize them. You will recognize them. It got me thinking. You know, in 1865, the U.S. Secret Service was, was founded, and the purpose was there was so much counterfeit currency that was circulating following the Civil War. And since then, there's been no, like, lessening of counterfeit currency. In fact, it's, it's growing, and now it's going into, like, virtual currency. And so you have the, the Secret Service and the FBI, and they're trained to spot it. But it's so fascinating in their training. You know, they don't spend all their time studying counterfeits. What they do is they study the authentic currency. They look at every minute detail. They soak it in. 
to the point when a, a piece of counterfeit currency is placed before them, they can immediately spot the discrepancies. Well, the same should be for the Christian. We should so saturate soul and mind with Scripture that the moment we hear a false teaching, we should immediately be like, that's not right. Jesus never said that. That's not what that passage means. It's like we can hear Jesus' voice. You know, his true sheep can hear his voice. And, and every now and then you hear somebody who's not really of Jesus' flock and they're not really Jesus' shepherds and you're like, I'm not following that voice. That is why in Peter we are told to be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Family, sometimes the devil is dressed like a preacher. Sometimes the devil is dressed like a preacher. To which Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And it doesn't sound right, because we read that, and we're like, they said, Lord, Lord. Like, they, they said the, 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 the recipe, right? Like, they, they said, Lord. And this is why I do not pressure people to, to give their life to Jesus. I don't, pr like, pressure people to say the Lord, like, the, uh, not the Lord's Prayer, but a prayer of salvation. Or, or make some type of commitment, because here's the deal. If I can pressure you into Jesus, I could pressure you out of Jesus. Because we discover that it's not words that save us. Just as Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 says this, listen to this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we're like, oh, well, that's what they did. And... Believe in your heart. This is the gospel. This is placing our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the payment of our sins. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be what? Saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. You see, family, this is, this is the bedrock teaching of the gospel. It is justification by faith. That we were made right before a holy God through faith. And then it says, and with the mouth we confess and are saved. But for some, all there are are words and works, no faith. Verse 22, on that day, many, did you all read that, many? This tells me that there are many who are in the proximity of Jesus, but they're not really of Jesus. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, look at all we did for you. Didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? I find it interesting. These are all gifts of uh, charismatic gifts. prophesying in the name of Jesus, casting out demons, doing many, many mighty miracles. You know, I get the image of these TV preachers swinging coats around and hitting people and they're falling over. And All these grandiose charismatic gifts often celebrated because we like the show, man. We like the entertainment. 
and we can entertain ourselves to death. False prophets and false Christians even say the name uh, of Jesus and it's blasphemy. I want you to watch this movie clip. Check this out. We got first and last names of six witches that are in our church. And you know what's strange? Three of you are in this room right now. Three of you in the room right now. You better look in my eyeballs. We ain't afraid of you, you stinking witch. You devil-worshiping Satanist witch. We cast you out in the name of Jesus Christ. We break your spells. We break your curse. We got your first name. We got your last name. We even got an address for one of you. Yeah. You so much as cough wrong, and I'll expose you in front of everybody in this tent, you stinking witch. You spell-casting, pharmacia, devil-worshiping mongrel, you. We got first and last. Could you imagine being there and accidentally making eye contact with him? <laughs> I think it's Larry. I know, man. I had an idea. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You spiritual crooks. You deceivers. Another passage is Jesus talks of utter darkness, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, of uncontainable suffering, with complete acute awareness that those who enter into eternal suffering are acutely aware. Like those moments where the gospel was so clearly presented before them and they, they, they refused to surrender and refused to believe, those for eternity churning in their mind, that acute awareness that it was my decision that led to this. I rejected the gospel of grace. I grabbed a hold of a gospel of works. What I don't want to happen here this morning is I don't want true, faithful believers to walk out of here with unnecessary anxiety. Going, I, I don't know if, it, if I'm secure in my salvation. The gospel is a final document, <laughs> paid in full. That is why Paul in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4, he says, Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not condemned. You know why? Because Jesus was condemned for you. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You've been forgiven. You've been justified. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. You could not law your way into heaven. He sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus Christ in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
to you who are a true and faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not condemned. For Christ has been condemned on your behalf. But then I also don't want somebody walking out of here not really sure if, if you know Jesus or not and how important is that. I, I don't want you walking out of here with a false sense of security as far as your eternal destination. Because the scriptures tell us that you are on a broad path and it is headed for destruction. That is why Jesus declares in John 3.18, whoever believes in him that is in Jesus is not what? Condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he or she has not believed in the only Son of God. There is only one way. There is only one truth. There is only one life. It is either Jesus or death. Our Father in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, we humble our hearts and our minds before you through you, the Holy Spirit, our holy God. Lord, it says in your word, that those who you foreknew and predestined, those you called, And Lord, if I knew who it is that is called, I would just speak their name right now. But it is you, Lord, who knows each soul. And I believe in the power of your gospel that you will call people by name in such a way that they know it is you calling them. Please listen to this. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he is risen. And the Bible declares all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This could be the moment of your salvation. If this is the time. In the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me and you were buried and I believe you've risen. Please, Jesus, save my life. If that's truly your heart's prayer, your heart's belief. And the scriptures tell us that you have just passed from spiritual death to life, from spiritual death to spiritual and eternal life. Forever a son or daughter of the living God, your name has been inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. Not only do you know Jesus, but he knows you. Welcome to the family. Lord, fill us with the gospel this week that we may be ambassadors for the cross. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
All right, family, let's stand together and stretch. Reach towards the heavens. It is time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. Now let's love one another as we carry the love of Jesus outside these doors. And if we have not met, I would love to meet you. I'll be right up front. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday.